Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Fandom Talk. Uh, my name is Vance McCarty. I am the editor-in-chief of the Fan Correspondence here. Uh, and tonight I have with us our typical compa- compatriots of uh, the Wise Sage, Josh Hardesty. Hey, how's it going? I just wanted to make sure everyone knows that tonight is being brought to you by Honey Roasted Peanuts. Uh, definitely go out and eat some of those. <laughs> Uh, they've been the topic of discussion for a while now. They they have oddly enough that that is that is absolutely true. Uh, we are also joined by uh, by my wonderful sister uh, Raven, uh, better known as Jenny. Hi, how's it going? I'm a deep advocate for uh, honey roasted peanuts as well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tonight we also have the man of the hour, uh, Mr. Red Lanyard, better known as Al. Hi, everybody. I like my my peanuts as salty as my attitude while playing Overwatch. (laughs) Mm. There we go. Yes, don't we though? Planners, where are you at? That's that's true. Uh, That's that's a dangerous amount of salt. Oh oh, yeah, I've got. I've got. I'm sorry. Oh, just saying. I've got hypertension and it affects my life. It's it's bad. Oh Lord! Well, guys, we have our uh, our latest installment of Phantom Shark Tank. Um, if you've been listening over the last few, um, then you already know how it goes. But for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, um, Phantom Shark Tank is actually something that Red Laner came up with himself. Um, basically, what it is is we we kind of talk about three dream projects that we would do if we had all the means and the resources that were given to that could be given to us, and any kind of studio backing. Um, the rules are that the first one has to be, or you can go in whatever order you want, but one of them has to be a show or a film. One of them has to be a video game, and then one of them has to be a uh, can be a wild card. It can be anything. It could be another show, be another film, be another game, be something completely random. Um, we've had, um, if you haven't been listening, we've had we've had movies talked about, we've had shows, we've had games, we've had clothing lines talked about, we've had comics talked about, you know, and. Um, and yeah, we we basically just wanted to kind of do this kind of talking about, you know, the stuff that we would do if we had ultimate freedom, you know, dealing with properties that we love. Um, and and excuse me, that, that is one of kind of the key things that it has to be a property that's kind of already been established and everything. Um, so, yeah. So if you haven't had a chance to please go check out those other podcasts, we'd know we'd love to hear your feedback on our other ideas. Um but uh, tonight is the last one for Phantom Shark Tank for for the foreseeable future. We might come back and revisit these uh, sometime. But as of right now, this is the last one, and it's uh, gonna be Red Lanyard's evening to take us uh, take us through his three dream projects. Uh, so, Al, are you ready with your first one? I am ready. Um, so, first off, allow me to say, um, even though this whole um, this whole theme, this whole um, topic for a podcast. Even though, like, uh, I was the one who had the idea, um, and even though I'm the last one to go, um, I like struggled with my ideas for a while um, in like a couple of ways. Just in that, in that, first of all, and this is something I've really realized over the last few weeks, um, it's like a really good time to be a fan of stuff <laughs> like just because like we just in general have a lot of really cool stuff out right now that we can enjoy um i was just thinking about it earlier tonight i was going through games on playstation and like i personally 
live in a time where I can hop on my PlayStation and I can play like a really excellently made Spider-Man game, or I can play like a really good Batman game that heavily features like Hasten Todd as Red Hood. Like I can get on PlayStation and play a really good, true to its origins Ghostbusters video game. I can hop on Disney Plus and watch like what twenty six, twenty seven, really good comic book films. <laughs> like, it's insane. Um, so, that being said, in some ways I struggled because I was trying to think of things that like haven't been done or aren't at least teased for coming out. But I also struggled in some ways because um, in some categories I have like a lot of ideas that I wanted to do and it was hard to kind of limit it to one per topic. Uh, but anyway, all that to be said, um, I'll start off with my video game idea. Um, and my video game idea is based on a series and almost a subgenre of games on its own at this point. Um, is based on um, the Dynasty Warriors games. And um, for those of you who don't know, the Dynasty Warriors games is a franchise of games where you uh, play a hack and slash style of um, gaming, and it's based on like the history of uh, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which is a historically based um, historical fiction, possibly, I might say, as far as the story goes. Could be a good way to categorize it. Um, yeah, where um, you play various uh, plays various officers and various factions in um, the historical rise of of um, the Chinese empires, um, and they're a blast. <clears throat> and there's been tons of them, and they spawned several several spinoff games and different franchises. There's one that studies um, the feudal era of um, of Japan. Uh, called Samurai Warriors. We've gotten Fire Emblem Warriors, which is based in that universe. We've gotten Hyrule Warriors, which is based in the Legend of Zelda timelines, uh, which, by the way, is probably my favorite of the Warriors games. Uh, so Hyrule is... Uh, it is so good. I love that game. Um, which, I'll bring that one up in particular um, here in a bit, because it introduces some things into um, the franchise that I think are really good. Um Excuse me. Uh, but my idea spawned from the general idea of a Dynasty Warriors game and what makes those games so appealing. And to me, what makes those games so appealing is that they take place in worlds that are large and are easy to get engaged in. Um, you take Hyrule Warriors, it like throws together all the different timelines and games of Legend of Zelda. Um, those games, as I'm sure all of you would agree with me, are very easy to get lost in, um, in like a positive way. Um, unless, <laughs> unless it's a water temple, then in a not so positive way. Um, <laughs> um, it takes place in like these, these massive historical eras of Japan and China it takes place in Fire Emblem that has all kinds of lore in it. And it takes place in really cool, engaging worlds. And it's based on being able to unlock and really enjoy 
the fighting styles of these different characters that we love. Um, and um, it also is predicated on the idea that you can play a lot of different factions. You can play kind of both sides of a conflict a lot of the time. Um, you can play as like the bad guys. You can play as like Zant and, and Ganondorf and Hyrule Warriors. Um, the faction you want to say is the quote unquote bad guy in Dynasty Warriors. You can play all of the different sides. Um, so I thought a pre-existing property that would work really, really well with this style of game would be a Star Wars Dynasty Warriors type game. Uh, and the way I think that, that it would really, really work well is that you have that idea of there's a bunch of different conflicts throughout the timeline of Star Wars. There's a bunch of really, really cool characters, a lot of which um, have not gotten a lot of screen time and other forms um, of Star Wars entertainment. Um, there's a bunch of different factions that you can play both sides on and be really engaged. Um, there's a bunch of different eras. There's a bunch of different people that you can expand their skill set and get into like what makes their fighting style unique, whether it's a balance of force powers and lightsaber powers. You might have some who who don't even use a lightsaber and focus more on like environmental stuff um, in the game. So it's a universe that I think works really well with the basic premise of the game, of being able to get lost in this world and lost in these conflicts and be able to explore those conflicts as characters who are also very engaging and characters that you already will care about. Um, so the basic idea is that um, if this game were to be produced, um, you pop it in, um, you start up the game, and you have, um, whereas Dynasty Warriors traditionally is set up to where you can play starting off as one of the three factions. You can play for Wu, for Shu, and for Wei, um, and kind of go through the story from those from the perspectives of officers associated with them. Um, for the Star Wars game, I thought it'd be cool to expand that a little bit even more and say that starting off, there are three uh, what can be considered main campaigns. One can be one of like the older eras have like an old Republic type of campaign, um, have a campaign, have a campaign for, um, for uh, the original trilogy and have a campaign for the sequel trilogy. And what happens is as you work your way through each of the campaigns, your progress in those campaigns, one, it unlocks uh, various characters you can play as as officers. Um, two, it unlocks other campaigns and story modes and things like that. Um, if you get to a certain point in the original trilogy, for example, um, you'll get a notification that says, hey, you can now begin an adventure in the Clone Wars era, right? Um, and so you can play through these campaigns. You can play through the campaigns um, kind of on both sides. You can have one campaign path, for example, in um, the original trilogy where you play as the Rebels, campaign path where you play as the Empire, and that can kind of apply to both campaigns. Um when I was spitballing this idea to one of my friends, um, they brought up a very good point, which was, well, isn't that just kind of what you do um, in Star Wars Battlefront? 
and that is true to a certain point. Um, the difference here would be is I think that how this game would be made would set it up set itself apart from the Battlefront games in that um, first of all you start off as playing as a hero, uh, whether it be um, a Jedi or Han Solo or whoever it might be. Um, you start off playing as a hero, and you immediately feel much more powerful compared to everyone else, which is something you kind of have to have to work towards in Battlefront. You might only have it for a short amount of time unless you're playing Palpatine and you can just spam Force Lightning. Um, and also something you can do that will set this game apart from the Battlefront games is that you can go into the combat a bit more in a detailed way, and this is where the comparison to Hyrule Warriors comes in. Where in Hyrule Warriors, they introduced a lot of mechanics that were really good, and they really kind of did a lot to set the various characters apart from each other. Um, you play as Link, and of course you have like the Master Sword, and there's like um, there are timing mechanics involved, there are parries involved, and things like that. And his move set feels unique. Whereas if you go stop playing as Link, you play as Zelda, Zelda's moveset and her mechanics feel unique. And you can add a lot more detail to those unique mechanics and unique fighting styles and things like that in this kind of game that's focused on playing as a hero as opposed to Battlefront, where that's just uh, playing as a hero would just is just kind of um, an additional mechanic of the game. Um, so yeah. That's the general, that's the bare bones idea for this game. Um, so, so hit me with your thoughts. Hit me with your comments. Uh, all right, let's. Uh, yeah, I mean that, that sounds awesome. Uh, I am going to go ahead and toss it to Jenny first. Uh, and uh, yeah, Jenny, uh, what kind of questions or comments you got for Al? Um, I don't have any questions. I just really want to play it. Um, I, I love Dynasty Warrior type games. Um, Hyrule Warriors is one of my all time favorite games, obviously. Um, so yeah, I just I'm excited. I want it to happen. That'd be really cool. Cool. All right, rock and roll. And uh, Josh, what about you, man? Well, I um um no joke. Uh, when we did mine. The the video game idea that I tossed out was a Dynasty Warriors S game based during the American Civil War, and uh, <laughs> and so like what I'm I, I basically tell you that to tell you this is that um, you know there I'm gonna try and be critical, you know, but uh, basically like you could you could tell me Dynasty Warriors version of basically any type of property, <laughs> and I'd probably give it a shot. Yeah, like mm -hmm. if like. It's Dora the Explorer mixed with Dynasty Warriors. I'm doing this. Let's do this. All right. Squire's going to go down, man. Exactly. You know. Uh, I love the Dynasty Warriors games so much. They're some of my favorite games ever. He's a Lubu-esque figure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Swiper like Lubu. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's Swiper. Yeah. And he just, like, kills 15 people. Exactly. Yeah, yes. That'd be great. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the questions I have you know, are, um, the, the two questions I have are, of course, I haven't played Hyrule Warriors or Fire Emblem Warriors, because, you know, I just, I just now got a Switch, 
and you know Jake likes the hog games. So as I do, um, so I've, I haven't played any. I haven't played any of those. So I can't really speak to those. I've played everything else they've put out, including Blade Storm, which was the game that's based on the Hundred Years War, which is hilarious as well. Uh, if you ever want to see a strictly Japanese company take on the Hundred Years War, uh, a war between Britain and France. I mean, it's just beautiful. Um, but one of the things I love about Dynasty Warriors, Samurai Warriors, Warriors Orochi, um, the the tone of the game is so self-serious that it's that they know how hilarious they're being. Um, mm. They know how ridiculous some of this stuff is, and like they play into it. And that allows for a lot of freedom uh, in how the story's told and how the battles go down. Um, you know, there's no real explanations uh, to things that happen, you know, and, and with the uh, yellow turbine brain and their magic or whatever. You know, it's just you kill the right guard and it stops and there's no real reason. It just happens and, you know, just stuff like that, okay? Like, they're, they, they, they don't take it too seriously. So here's the issue I think that you might run into, and you and you I think you can sidestep this a couple different ways. Um, but the issue you're going to run into anytime you do a Star Wars property is that there is no fan base that takes their stuff more seriously than the Star Wars fans, hmm. um, to the point of just being a parody of themselves, um, you know. And and the 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 concept you've got going here, where it's like, you know, older public. Uh, then, like, you know, I guess original trilogy and then sequel trilogy. Um, I think it's interesting, um, but you're going to uh, you're going to run into, I think, some issues that you could sidestep if you just were like, you know, Old Republic, Clone Wars era, and then, you know, I mean, really just, just that right there, honestly. Because when you do when we do something with the Elder Public, since there's so little done about it, in fact, and no one knows what's canon anymore about it, um, you have so much freedom to just do whatever the heck you want. Uh, you, you can throw whatever you want in there. You can do whatever. You're not tied to any one thing. Um, you're not tied to you know a a certain version you know of like I mean you could have like 75 Sith Lords because you need to expect was before the Rule of Two came into play. Ha ha ha! You, know, you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> And then, of course, with Clone Wars, you can do whatever you want anyway because nothing that happens during that has any effect on any of the Star Wars films. Okay. You know, okay. so it's just, it's, just a, right. it's just a thing that okay. happens. You can do whatever you want there. Just, just give him a second, guys. You he's he's got to get it out. You can invent all the characters you want. You can just do whatever you want, you know? Okay. Yeah. It really doesn't matter because yeah. nothing's ever mentioned anyway, so you just do what you want. Nothing yeah. uh, but, yeah. but <laughs> you, you done? Yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. I'm done. But anyway, the, the, the point I'm getting at is like the there is a, you know, I think with a lot of Star Wars, uh, one of the, the main issues with a lot of Star Wars fans is that um, they they have these very sacred views of characters, uh, you know, myself notwithstanding, of course. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, the 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 ability to mess with that a little bit in a Dynasty Warriors game a game where the, the tone of all the Dynasty Warriors games is just, you know, like, you know, uh, it's it's hard not to kill a thousand soldiers, you know, in, 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 in a Dynasty Warriors battle. And so I'm kind of wondering, like, what you, you know, how, how you would answer that if, you know, if, if you were if you were making this, you know, I like, I mean, let's just say the original trilogy, 
how would you how would you answer that concept of like having Luke Skywalker, you know, at Hoff, you know, killing, you know, a thousand stormtroopers to make it relevant to the tone of the Star Wars films? Yeah. Um, well, with that, I think, um, first off, this is also coming from me, who's a person who thinks, as you said, this Star Wars fan base at large is just kind of a parody of itself and like yeah, i don't know I, ta- I take everything with that it's like uh, a quote-unquote hardcore star wars fan would say as a criticism with like a a huge grain of salt you know um enough salt to salt a healthy healthy amount of honey roasted peanuts um there you go uh, but I would say one to answer the question of how would I handle like the tone of like Luke Skywalker going out and just like decimating the Empire like on Hoth or or something like that. Um, for that, I would almost say like kind of um, refer back to the Battlefront games that like I um, I mentioned already. Um, you know, especially going back to the PlayStation 2 ones, like, they were able to head away with that. I mean, you unleash, um, Luke Skywalker, or you unleash Darth Vader on the Hoth map, and, like, it's, it's just, like, a total massacre. Um, and I think also to, like, help build the tone for that, and help that tone be acceptable, I would really want to play that up like eating up to those really big pivotal scenes right uh i would try to really capitalize on the fact that on uh, the warriors franchises of games are so overly dramatic and so over the top and i would like really lean into that because i feel like if you're gonna have a a property that is able to lean into being very overly dramatic and over the top um, I think a space opera that gave us the incredible line of, well, if you are not with me, then you are my enemy, is prime real estate <laughs> to really lean into that idea of just like, we, you can have fun with this. This obviously, this obviously isn't, you know, a canon thing, you know, you don't have, have to treat it as a canon thing when you're playing the Clone Wars campaign and you see Anakin go to... Mustafar, and before he even reaches the Separatist Alliance, he just goes on a killing spree of just like 3,000 droids, you know? Um, And you can lean into that kind of stuff, because Star Wars naturally has a lot of drama to it. Um, And a lot of the films, especially the original trilogy, handle that drama really well. And there are a lot of things in Star Wars that, like, do kind of go over the top with it and stuff. Um, And so, like, yeah... I guess my very first answer is I don't care what Star Wars fans think. Like it's first of all, it's a Star Wars product, so it's going to sell regardless of what it is. Um, <laughs> and second of all, um, if there if there's almost any property that would benefit from leaning into an overly dramatic kind of tone and, and doing 
ridiculous things, I think um, Star Wars would be the one. Your question kind of reminds me of, um, of this is kind of a deep pool, but it kind of reminds me of the DLC for um, The Force Unleashed 2, where you play a star killer on like a completely alternate timeline of the original trilogy, um, where like you go to Hoth and you fight Luke and you just straight up kill Luke. And like you go to <laughs> like you go to Andor and you have like a lightsaber fight with Aya, because she's a Jedi at that point on this timeline. And like you kill her. Like <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that. Where like obviously you aren't supposed to take that stuff very seriously because the idea of Starkiller going and having a lightsaber fight with Aya on Endor, just like his is a weird visual anyway. But um but it has that tone of being overly dramatic. It has a tone of of like this is just all in good fun. This is like a crazy what if you can have in a world filled with space wizards, like you know? But um but yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean I would point out Force Unleashed Two is the worst selling Star Wars game in history though, so but there is that. <laughs> yeah. But technically, the DLC he was talking about was actually for the first Force Unleashed, which actually sold really well. Okay. So. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought but, it was one of those Force Unleashed too. I got you. But but I mean it. You know it's just it's you know it's just anytime you do a Star Wars fans are just it's just prickly um, because of who they are as as people. <laughs> so so I mean, that's the that's the issue, and and I, I include myself in that as well. As you can tell, I'm very prickly about Clone Wars. So. Um, but I, I do, I, I do, uh, I, I do, I do have one more, one more question, basically. Yeah. Uh, just so you know, just give me a rundown. So like, you know, like who would be your officers then? You know, like I mean, who, wh- what kind of people would have to be in this game? Yeah, I got you. Um, so I think that the really cool thing about um, Star Wars is that when you do the research and go a bit past just like the surface level of like. Um, the movies and stuff like that is that you discover that um, in like every era you have all kinds of interesting characters who pop up some who aren't as interesting as others but you have a really wide roster um, of characters who have roles in the conflict that's going on so um, just like spitballing for example um, so for the original trilogy right you can have your usual cast of characters you can have i mean you can have have your luke skywalker you can have have um your han solo you can have your Chewie. you can have your princess hey um up to a certain point in the campaign you could even have old ben as well be um, a playable character like for the first like Three battles or so, possibly. For Dynasty Warriors fans, he's like the Peng Tong of the campaign, I guess, in that part. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, man. Peng Tong is showing up. Can you save Ben? Can you get there in time? Yeah. <laughs> but okay. um, yeah, um, you know, you can even throw in some other characters who might not have as much screen time or have as much of reputation as them, but like are still important characters, you know, you can have Admiral Akbar as the playable officer. 
Um, and um, things like that. The central idea is that you can have a roster that really pulls from the wealth of characters in the Star Wars universe. Um, I mean, if you go to the Clone Wars, like, geez, you can have all kinds of Jedi. You can have all kinds of trade federation uh, um, characters as well. Um, I'm not... I'm not anywhere near as well versed like the old Republic stuff, but there's a huge wealth of characters there. Um, um, if you want to, depending on how detailed you want the campaign to be, you could even bring in some characters for like the original trilogy um, campaign. You could bring in some characters from Star Wars Rebels as well. If you want to play as like, um, we could have like a story about Hanan and show kind of what. He was doing from like the fall of the republic up to um, his role in in um, the civil war um, era and stuff. Like, um, yeah, you could just have like all kinds of characters. You could be your officers uh, because again, the idea is that this is a game that focuses on embracing the world that it's set in, and so you could have all kinds of characters, and you could have unique abilities for the characters or little um, details and touches to how they fight um, that kind of capitalize um, on their role in um, the greater universe. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of great opportunity for my new show to make a lot of Star Wars fans really happy. I know like, you know, I mean, I I, I know for, for no other reason, if you just took like, you know, and said, you know, like, you know, young Obi-Wan uses form two of the light, you know, of, of lightsaber, you know, but older Obi-Wan uses, is it form five? Okay. First and foremost. Okay. Young Obi-Wan doesn't use form two. He uses four. Okay. He uses four. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but, but see what I mean? Like you, you, right. you could do stuff like that and just really uh, use that to differentiate, you know, uh, mm-hmm. lightsaber, you know, how people use a lightsaber and stuff like that and make a lot of people really, really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I, I mean, I just think that's the kind of thing that, you know, the 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 details of the world are going to be what makes Star Wars fans really really happy, and where you can really go crazy with something like this. Uh, I think it's a fantastic idea. Uh, I, the only reason I asked about the roster, uh, me and Jake were both really hoping you would say Bosk. Yes. Uh, we, you know, <laughs> I, I don't understand. You know, uh, you need to read up more on our favorite Tran Trandoshan. Uh, he's just he's fantastic all the way around. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, there's, there's just so much, you know, um, lore with all those characters. Uh, and yet there's also just like so many that you just don't even want to deal with. And I just, I, I, you know, I just have these kind of flashbacks to Battlefront 2 when me and Jake will play Galactic Conquest, you know, and you didn't, and I never wanted to go to Renvar because your Jedi on Renvar was freaking Keati Mundi, you know, and he was the worst. He's the worst all the way around. You know, and like, uh, I, I think it would be very important, you know, that, that that would be the one thing that I would say to add to this and just make sure there's always a roster of people you can, you can use on each level because getting stuck with Coyote Monday is, it, it's, it's probably some, it's it, probably the top five worst memories of video games I could have. Cause do you remember who, who the rent, who the Sith Renvar is? Uh, Darth Maul. Darth Maul. Exactly. Darth Maul, yeah. So 
you know, Darth Maul versus Chaotic Monday. You know, the Conehead versus Darth Maul. You know, I mean, you, <laughs> you kind of know how that's going to go. Uh, it's going to play. But no, I think it's a great idea, Al. Like I said, I was I was really reaching to be critical because you know you had me at Star Wars Dynasty Warriors. Let's yeah. be honest. So, so yeah, great idea. I'll <laughs> let Jake finish up. Um. I mean, naturally, I'm 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 with both Josh and Jenny. I'm like, dude, I, I just want to play this. Like, I like if you, if 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 you came to me tomorrow and was like, all right, it's a hundred dollars, but I have this game, I'd be like, well, I'm a hundred dollars poorer. I mean, like, I, I need it. Um, you know, and 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 I I think Josh brought up uh, a good point, uh, and 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 you did as well, and kind of answering it. Um, because you said your friend had kind of asked or, or made the statement, uh, wasn't that basically just Battlefront? Okay, well, but the thing is, is that you simultaneously have you have this option of, you know, playing as a main character, you know, for, uh, first and foremost. Um, not to say that, you know, you wouldn't play as like a clone like Captain Rex or Cody or someone mm. like that, you know, if you were doing like Clone Wars or something like that. Um, but the thing is, is that, you know, with that, it's... It, it's most of those games, they're shooters, you know, they're, you jump in, you play, you play as a character, you get, you get, someone has a headshot because they have like the best sniper rifle in the game and they're perching and you're like, what is even happening? And then you die and then you spawn back in, you know, but with this, you know, if you're, especially, especially if you're getting Koei Tecmo to do it again, um, you know, um, which honestly, I don't know who else you would, they, they're, I mean, they are the company, um, for this. But I mean, the all of their games simultaneously while having a reverence to their their story basis, whether it is in the Dynasty Warriors, <laughs> Samurai Warriors, or even High Roller Fire Emblem, um, they also, you know, they're so wild and crazy, you know, because like, you know, your your attacks are powerful, your attacks are big, you know, um, but at the same time, there's never there's never a point where you feel like they are overpowered or anything, unless you've just been you know, farming all your XP into, like, you know, Zhang Fei on Cheng on Bon or someone like that, you know, and just going crazy, which is absolutely possible. Um, another deep cut. No, another deep cut, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, you could you could easily get past the, you know, the, the complaints of, like, oh, this doesn't make sense for the history, and just saying, it's a Star Wars Warriors game. Like, I mean, it's... It's literally just your your goal is to jump in with a lightsaber and kill as many stormtroopers as you possibly can, you know, in in one setting, you know, and then finally have this epic duel with Darth Vader at the end or or something like that, you know. That's, you know, that's the way that's the way you could go about doing it. Um, and you know, and continuing on with like details and everything, like the the thing is, it's like with, you know. You had, you had mentioned Hyrule Warriors and Fire Emblem Warriors and, you know, the reverence that they had for, you know, for especially for those worlds. Well, Fire Emblem Warriors was one of the biggest one of the biggest things for me um, because I was initially upset when I found out that Ike wasn't going to be in it. OK, mm -hmm. um, because he was on, you know, the Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn games for GameCube. But the thing is that there were no characters from those games. Meanwhile, all the characters from Awakening, Fates... And Shadow Dragon, like everyone's in that game, uh, you know, Navarre is in that game. Uh, uh, big girl with the axe. Uh, Camilla is in, 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 in the game. You know, I mean, like everyone is is featured. You know, and like 
that was kind of the thing that was interesting to me is like they didn't they didn't leave a single person out from the from like the roster they were looking at. You know, the the only reason that they didn't do all the other rosters is, is because if they did literally every Fire Emblem game, they would have literally thousands of characters at that point instead of just like the 50 or 60 that they do, which is big in itself. Um, and of course, with Star Wars, you know, you could I mean, like Josh, like Josh said, I mean, you know, and, and you would have such a massive roster, you know, of of people who, you know, to people who have watched the movies are technically side characters. But to us, like they're people that we've read about our entire lives. You know, we we make the jokes about Boss because, I mean, for, for those of you who didn't know, like Al had no idea who Boss was until like a year or so ago. Um, he I mean, of course, we've, we he had seen him, you know, but he didn't know that he was like a big character. And then, of course, all of a sudden he's in Battlefront, you know, and he's a big major character and <laughs> in, in that, you know. But the thing is, it's like, you know, to the to the people who have read the books or to people who have, you know, watched, you know, certain shows or certain videos or things like that. Bosk is a big character, you know, and I think that simultaneously you could use this as a way to, you know, appeal to the fans who want who want to see more, you know, kind of random characters you know, like that, as well as appealing to the fans who you know, who are like, dude, I just I just want to play as Yoda, and I, I just want to take down like thousands of battle droids. That, that's that's what I want to do. You know, I was I was I'm all in. You know, um, I think I, I do I do have uh, two two questions, and I, honestly, one's one's pretty pretty quick um, because I was curious. You said older public. Um, did you were you were you saying that you would go to like the KOTOR kind of universe, like the Knights of the Old Republic stuff or the, or the Old Republic at MMO or when you're saying Old Republic, are you meaning like the Clone Wars era? Um, I mean like Old Republic. Yeah. Like the, I said the Old Republic type older stuff. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And of course with the, you know, with them recently announcing, I think it's called the, the high Republic, I think is the new, is the new one, which is set in like in between like, Kotor and Old Republic and the the prequel films like it's so I can't remember exactly when it is but somewhere in those mm-hmm. like it's supposed to be like the golden age of the Jedi apparently so I mean you could I mean depending on when you were making or mm-hmm. you know when this game was coming out you could easily add characters from that yeah, you know so sure. kind of trying to build their fan base um, sure. one of the one of the other things I was I was going to ask and. Honestly, I'm not really sure how you would do it, and you may not have even thought about it. But did you think about any kind of like space combat or anything like that? And I mean, I, I know it probably wouldn't work as well for like a Dynasty Warriors game, but was there any kind of thought process about that in there? Um, yeah, I had thought about space combat um, just because. Um, well, first of all, because space combat is really cool. There's no <laughs> like that's just yep. it's just a really cool thing. Um, and second of all, because space combat is, in my opinion, handled really, really well in the Battlefront games, um, Mm -hmm. at least that I've played. Um, I thought about space combat, um, and specifically, I thought really hard about it because I was going through kind of like the main characters I would think of, um, as officers, and I was going through this characters from the sequel trilogy and I thought of Poe and um, I was just like, okay, well obviously we see Poe do other things in space combat because we see him do all kinds of stuff in the movies. Um, however, if there's a, 
if there's like a thing that Poe really excels in and really shows um, his status in, um, it's space combat. And I wouldn't really want to lose that part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that was one of the tougher things I was thinking about. Because I'm, I'm the type of person, if I'm going to add something to a game... Um, I want it to be just as high quality and just as engaging as everything else in the game, right? I don't mm-hmm. w- want to fall into the trap of, hey, this is a great Dynasty Warriors game. Oh, by the way, if, like, you care about it, there's also, like, space combat, and that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's whatever. Um, so, honestly, if I could kind of screw around a little bit with the space combat from the Battlefront games and kind of use that as a as like a starting point and tweak it a little bit so that you still have the feeling of a Dynasty Warriors game, right? Because when you jump into your X-Wing as Poe, you want to like have that feeling of superiority. You want to have that feeling of I can't be touched because I'm such a good pilot and my skill just like exponentially outclasses almost everyone else. Um, Mm. So if I could tweak the battlefront system of space combat to where you feel in general a lot more powerful, but when an opposing pilot shows up, it has that greater step of challenge still. Like, um, you know, you're playing as Poe and you're X-Wing, you're doing great, you're just like, shh shooting down people in like a thousand dog fights and doing awesome. Um, then Hilo Ren shows up in his interceptor. Um, if there was a way to up that challenge in t- difficulty in a way that felt natural and organic, um, then I would be happy to have uh, that kind of space combat in on the game as well. Um, if there weren't a way to do that, however, then I would rather a part of the game that would be just okay. I'd rather it be cut than in the game, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I was, I mean, <clears throat> when you had initially said, I mean, on, honestly, my, my main thought was just kind of like the, you know, like the character kind of on like the ground combat and stuff like that and everything. But mm-hmm. I was just kind of curious if you had thought about it since. It is a big, it is a part, you know, of the, of the series and everything. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, man. I mean, it's it sounds awesome. Like I would, I would, add, like I said, I, I'd I'd play it in a heartbeat. You know, like immediately. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I think we are ready for your second project. Unless anyone has any closing remarks or anything that they missed or anything. No? All right. Then, yeah, I think we're ready for your second project, man. Go ahead whenever you're ready. Okay. So, um, the second project was going to do my film slash show idea. Was, one, I struggled over a lot. This is one that I had, I'm comparing my video game ideas and comparing my film slash series idea. Um, the ideas that I had for a film or series, like, c- 
completely outweighed the video game ideas I had. And I had a lot of ideas for video games. Um, um, so we may need to do like a fandom Shark Tank 2 sometime to, to air out some other ideas we have for stuff. But all that to say is um, uh, the main two ideas that I kind of landed on for a film or a series um and there were both ideas for like a show was a live action any series of of dark souls or a or um a live action one season show of spider-man um and I thought a lot about it. I couldn't really come to a decision between the two. Um, I asked a couple of my friends for help. They were just like, well, you know, Al, Spider-Man in general is in a really good place as far as entertainment goes right now. There's a really good Spider-Man video game on PS4 that's going to get a sequel that by all means looks good. Um, he has a ton of really good uh, cartoons you can watch. Um, his films in the MCU are some of the best that the MCU have to offer. Um He's getting a more expanded universe around him, which could go either way, but at least the content's there. Um, Spider-Man's in a really good place, so why don't you do your other idea? And I was just like, okay, well, that makes sense. Um, and then I thought about it more, and I realized I love talking about Spider-Man too much. So I'm going to do a Spider-Man idea. Um, yep. <laughs> I literally saw I saw where this was going. So, yeah, yeah no, I, I already knew. Yeah, so if we ever do Phantom Shark Tank 2, I'll be happy to talk about my series for Dark Souls. However, um, I'm going to talk about the Spider-Man series. Let us know in the comments, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, hit us up and let us know what you think. Um, so, uh, the idea for this series, and the reason why I'm planning it as just like a, a one-and-done season of a show... Is because the story I would want to do for it is very self-contained, and um, the tone of it I feel like would be very kind of unique for um, Spider-Man-focused entertainment, um, and also in general I think Spider-Man stories are are best adapted to um, are best adapted to film. I think just the the two hour to two and a half hour time span just fits a lot of those stories really, really well for some reason. Um, but um, the story I would want to adapt into a series, um, not extremely long, I'm talking like eight to ten episodes or something, about the span of like one of um, the Netflix shows, um, Hey, They Rest in Peace, is... Um, an adaptation of the Spider-Man comic book story um, called The Death of Gene Wolfe. Um, for anyone who's been following the fandom correspondence for a while, that title may sound familiar. And that's because way back when the MCU first got rights to Spider-Man um, and we're in the process of producing his first film, um, I wrote an article called, like, four stories that the new Spider-Man film could be um, or something like that. Um, it's on the website. And 
And the death of Gene Wolfe was one of the ones that I said I would like to see, but I didn't think they would go to as a first film, which, of course, they did not, um, uh, which worked out fine because Homecoming is awesome. Um, but um, the death of Gene Wolfe is a Spider-Man story. Um, as far as Spider-Man stories go, um, it's, it's one of the darkest ones that I've ever read. Um, it really kind of tests um, what kind of character Peter Parker is, what he kind of means to both the Marvel Universe and to um, his community in general. Um, and so the basic premise of the story is that a, a 80 um, is killed. And it seems that her death is um, seems to fit a pattern of recent k- killings in in NYC. Um, and so, um, uh, Jean De Wolf's death is very, very much closer to kind of Spider-Man's wing of New York, and so um, he takes an interest in the investigation and things like that. Um, the person who who kills her um, is not a particularly well-known Spider-Man villain, um, specifically because, as far as I know, um, his appearance is refined just to this one story. Uh, her death is... Um, um, her murder is committed by a uh, villain known as the Sin Eater. Uh, and... Um, the idea behind the Sin Eater is that um, he doesn't really fit the mode of usual Spider-Man villains. Because usually a Spider-Man villain is one who's like a thief who's focused on stealing things or being successful in like a life of crime. Or they're like um, an egomaniacal type of character like Orman Osborn or Otto Octavius or something like that. Um, the Sin Eater is unique in Spider-Man's rogues gallery because he is simply just a serial killer. Um, he is a psychopath who takes pleasure in, in stalking and killing his victims. Um, the reason why I think this would work really well as a TV series is that the whole season would take on kind of a noir feel to it, um, basically consisting of Spider-Man trying to work with the NYPD, um, trying to figure out, kind of follow the trails and clues to figure out who the Sin Eater is, what his MO is like, um, what his motivation is for doing these things. Basically, kind of showing snippets of his crimes um, and focusing, at least the first half of the show, on Spider-Man and the NYPD, uh, working together to build a profile for him um, and get to the bottom of why he's doing what he's doing. Um, The latter half of the show would focus on Spider-Man actually hunting him down, um, following up on the um, trail of victims he leaves behind and things like that. Um, At this point, I would change the story a, a little bit away from the source material a bit um, so that uh, the narrative carries a bit more of an emotional impact for Spider-Man to kind of fit the medium of a TV show. 
Um, and I would have kind of um, the big climax of the show be that um, the Sin Eater, um, again, serial killer, a highly intelligent um, psychopath, um, is playing kind of a cat and mouse game with Spider-Man and is able to ascertain um, either who Spider-Man is or at least the kind of people who are in his social life. Um, so you have kind of this reflection of as Spider-Man builds a profile about him, he's also building one about Spider-Man too. Um, and so the scene, so the scene eater wants to make things a bit more personal. And so, um, he infiltrates Spider-Man's personal life and kidnaps somebody that he loves and cares about. Um, this could be Aunt May. This could be Harry Osborn, depending on where in Spider-Man's history you want the show to be. I kind of lean a bit more towards Harry, just because I think the trope of of kidnapping like a parental figure or a love interest is kind of played out. Um, and so it becomes very personal for Spider-Man. And this, towards the end of the show, this reflects kind of how the comic book story ends, which, spoiler alert for kind of an old comic book story. Um, Spider-Man confronts the Sin Eater. Um, it feels very personal for Spider-Man. Um, the personal feelings in this kind of cloud his judgment a bit. And when he confronts the Sin Eater, um, he just kind of unleashes on him. And you can go a bit into his psyche at this point. You can lead up to him having this understanding of just like, well, he's so intelligent, he's able to do these incredibly impressive things. Like, Spider-Man might be caught up in this idea that like he somehow has powers and he's more adept or more powerful than other people in his rogues gallery up to this point. Um, and combine that with the personal weight that this adventure has, um, has taken on him. Um, and lining up with the comic book story, Spider-Man just unleashes on him um, and does a bit of a worse job controlling himself than he's usually able to do. He doesn't pull his punches as much as when he fights other um, villains and things like that. Um, in the story, in the source material, um, this encounter leaves the Sin Eater, like, ruined. He suffers, like, really severe brain damage. Um, obviously, he goes to prison. Um, just his quality of life is just way, 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 way worse. Um, and you can reflect that in the show as well. Give him that kind of traumatic brain injury he gets from the beating Spider-Man gives him. Um, you could follow uh, the last episode or so. You could kind of follow his trial, kind of highlight uh, the media perceptions of just like, well, you know, Spider-Man's out of control or Spider-Man kind of took justice into his own hands at this point and should we trust that kind of brutal uh, brand of vigilante justice um almost throw like i'm um, a batman-esque kind of interpretation of vigilante justice into it and the reason why i want to do this and the reason why this idea kind of stuck out to me from the source material is that this is a story that really asks important questions about who spider-man is and who peter parker is and who peter parker perceives himself to be um, because in the source material, it leads to a bit of an identity crisis for Peter. 
because he starts to question, you know, um, how much of a hero can I be if I'm not able to keep my emotions in check, if I'm able to to lose control like that so easily. And it can be a very character-defining type of situation for him. And that's kind of where you can bring in some other characters from the MCU throughout it that he can talk to, you know. Um, uh, he operates in New York while he's trying to track people down. He might talk to Jessica Jones since she's a private investigator and she might have some tips for him. Um, he can talk um, up to Daredevil. He can talk, uh, he can have some run-ins with the Punisher, things like that and get all these different points of view, all these different influences from the people around him, um, which again, I think reflects a really important thing about Spider-Man's characters that Spider-Man is very much a product of how he reacts to the people in his life, the people in his environment, um, going all the way back to what happened to Uncle Ben, to his experiences with his villains, his experiences with Gwen and MJ, to his experiences with the Avengers and things like that. Um, Peter Parker is very much a character whose story rests on the idea that the people in his life have have a very large influence on him. But at the end of the day, um, what separates him is that he's always the one, or he always tries to be the one who makes that conscious decision of what he does with all those influences. Um, and I think this story is a really good opportunity to show that side of him, to hear the input that Jessica Jones has with, you know, a character who's had her fair share of experiences with psychopaths um to get input from daredevil about kind of the balance between um law justice and vigilante justice to talk to the punisher who would just very quickly say yeah dude i would just kill him and like if you don't then any damage he does afterwards is kind of in your hands and have him get counsel from from aunt may and all these different kinds of characters who have influence on him and put him in a situation where he kind of has to answer for himself, like where his morality and where he fits into all of these different brands of justice and ideas of what being a hero means um, and things like that. Um, that is a basic idea. I've probably talked for like three hours because I love talking about Spider-Man. Um, so what So what does everyone think? Uh, well, well, first and foremost, I mean, you can... Dude, this is this is your time. You talk about Spider Man all you want, um, but yeah, I, I I think it sounds great, man. Um, I am gonna go ahead and toss it over to uh, Josh first. I'm gonna go last. You're gonna go last. All right. Okay. I'm gonna go ahead and toss it over to Jenny first. Jenny, we lo- did we lose you? Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Um, no, I love the idea. Um, I love that uh, we would be able to see, you know, the different sides of Spider or different side of Spider-Man that um, isn't talked about as much. Um, the the depths of uh, who he is um, as a person. I think that'd be great to explore. Um, I did want to ask you though, like what what you think uh, you're casting? Do you have any ideas for casting, or would you try to stick with what um, the MCU is already kind of set up? Um, yeah, um, I would totally 
sick with what we have because I can't think of any way to improve upon it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, um, Tom Holland is just awesome as both Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Um, I would not change any of the Netflix actors inside their roles at all. We can. I would be happy to have Charlie Cox and Kristen Ritter and um, John Berthall um, join in <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, um, the only other really main character, I guess, would uh, that I would have to develop a casting for is um, is on the antagonist on the Sin Eater, and um, I thought about that. And depending on how you want the dynamic to go, and I say that because I haven't quite figured out yet how I would want this particular dynamic to go either. I go back and forth on it a lot is you'd want either a person who, who is older um, than Peter Parker at this point, um, like a considerable bit older, or you'd want a person who's about the same age as him. And depending on what demographic you go with kind of asks um, somewhat similar, but also very unique um, questions about um, about the whole story um, and characters involved. But um, if I were to go a bit older, and I know this is kind of a readable choice, um, but I would love to get uh, Mads Pickleson, um, just because he's a character with crazy depth. Um, he plays off of other actors just incredibly well. And he's also shown that he can play a very convincing serial killer type of personality in Hannibal. Um, if I were to go for an actor a bit younger and someone a bit closer um, to Tom Holland's age, um, this is this is a casting I think may sound kind of off the wall or unexpected. I don't really know. Um, I think Zac Efron would be able to pull off the role well. Okay. Um, yeah, I, th I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd give him a chance. He's played similar kinds of characters before and did very well with it. And I think this would give him a chance to play it a bit, um, um, a bit more, even crazier as well, and kind of show off his range a bit more. Um, also, I think he would uh, be able to play a really good counterpart. Um, to Tom Holland um, as well. But um, but yeah, those are the ideas I had. Okay. Um, I mean, that's pretty much all I got. I'd definitely watch it. It's definitely right up my alley. So uh, I really like that. It's a good idea, Al. Cool. Thank you. All right. So I guess that leaves it to me. Um, you, you know, uh, Initially, you know, the, the concept of, of course, doing a kind of a darker Spider-Man, if it wasn't in your hands, I'd, I'd be I'd be nervous, honestly. Like, if, if you were not the person that was behind it, I'd be nervous. Um, but, of course, naturally, and, and if it wasn't an MCU product, like, like if Sony was like, our version of Spider-Man is going to be darker, I, I'd be like, <laughs> mm, okay, I'm, 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 I'm weary, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, just because you know, like, 
whenever you're taking a character that is so easily identifiable with, you know, the hope and the light of the MCU and everything, and you're, you know, touching on this aspect of darkness, you know, and possibly, you know, um, and most likely, obviously, doing something worse than just dancing down the street in a black suit, like in uh, <laughs> Spider-Man Three. Although, mm. if that is where you're, where the show goes, sign me up immediately. Um, you know, but obviously, that kind of storyline would have to be taken care of. You know, you know, extra special care with, um, because you still have to have a reverence for the character and everything. Um, you know, and the thing is, is like. You know, when if if this was a Disney Plus series or, or something like that, if that's kind of where we were kind of going with, you know, and it was just kind of a one off in between, you know, I mean, especially if it was right now, if it was a one off between Far From Home or whatever the third one's going to be, that would be an interesting concept, you mm-hmm. know, um, because the thing is, is, of course, you know, and spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Far From Home, um, it's been up for almost a year, you if you haven't seen it, you definitely should go watch it. Um, but I mean, of course, you know, Far From Home ends with his secrets out, you know, and Jay Jonah Jameson is hounding him, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and everyone thinks he's a killer, you know. And so you could easily have this kind of concept of where Peter is down himself, you know, of if he's actually, you know, worthy of being this kind of hero, you know, and everything. And, and of course, you now naturally of course you also have already you've already had that kind of storyline you know mm-hmm. but at the same time i you mean you know you could you could this is kind of a different kind of question of it though you know it's mm-hmm. not it's not you know can he be this hero it's can he be this hero without crossing the line you know and, and things like that and you could especially you especially can add that you know in the 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 concept of someone dying on his watch and he feels personally involved with it you know, that's obviously something something that's very close to Spider-Man, whether it's, you know, Uncle Ben in the comics, you know, or really I mean, multiple characters in the comics, uh, you know, Tony in, 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 in Endgame, you know, um, you know, and then you, you even have, you know, the concepts from Dance Lots Run where, you know, he he even says no, no one else will die. You know, that that's that's a big story arc for him um, is, um, is that he kind of makes that promise and then he's kind of fighting pretty much for that until the end of dance slots run um you know but with this i think you would really have to balance that because you have you have this concept of you know tom holland is really kind of the first you know he's really kind of the first kind of happy-go-lucky spider-man you know and i I say that kind of lightly you know because of course obviously he's had very you know intense stories but he's also Mm -hmm. been very hopeful you know, he's been and we've and we've seen him do a lot of like the comedy aspects and everything as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think to kind of you would really kind of have to ease into that and really it, you'd have to be very, very careful to not, you know, go too far into the, you know, I mean, for lack of a better term, you know, the, the Punisher style, you know, mm-hmm. because because obviously, you know, and I mean, and, and, for, and for the record, I'm if if this would be our lead in back and back to getting uh the Netflix heroes onto Disney plus or into their own films or whatever. I'm 100% supportive of, you know, Charlie Cox and Kristen Ritter and John Bernthal and even, um, uh, Mike Coulter and, um, Finn Jones. Is that, is that Iron Fist? Yeah. Yeah. And all all of them, bring them all back. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
you know, you would definitely need to really kind of make sure that balance was struck. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think my next question would be like, would it kind of, would it be kind of a one-off or would it lead into the next film? Would it, no, would it lead into a second season possibly? Or what do you, or do you, would you, ha- did you even have any plans for like how you would end it or anything yet? Right. Um, as far as I have conceptualized it, um, you know, like it's a film that it's a film. My goodness, it's a TV, it's a TV show. It's a project. It's a story um, that could work as something that's kind of self-contained. Um, in, if I recall correctly, when it happens in the comics, it takes it takes place, you know, a few years into Spider-Man's career, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so there would definitely be the question of, you know, where in the MCU timeline does this really take place? Um, I think ideally it would take place kind of after whatever the next um, Spider-Man film is going to be. Um, because it very mm. much it very much feels like they have, like, they have very set plans <laughs> for what's going to go down. And like, I yeah, don't um, want this to like interfere with that or raise questions about it or anything like that. Um, so as long as the next Spider-Man film ends with him being in a situation where he can still do his thing um, and be Spider-Man and stuff like that, um, I think it could work. Um, to speak to kind of the question of like the balance of Tom Holland being a brighter kind of more positive Spider-Man contrasting with uh, the darker storyline. Um, I think like, yeah, like it's not my intention at all to like Zack Snyder, the character or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like this is not like an all, I don't intend for this to be like another world's story where Uncle Ben is just like, kill them all, Peter. Like, <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> It's not that kind of thing. Um, and you can see, ideally, the writing of the show would kind of reflect, like, the very beginning of the show and through, like, a good first portion of it. Um, um, Tom Holland is is playing his Peter Barker. You know, he's a guy, he's taking he's taking what he's, he's doing seriously because the person's life was lost. But he's still, you know, going about it his way. He's using his his coping skills to get through this investigation, right? He's still he's still cracking jokes. He's still doing small little neighborhood Spider-Man things and stuff like that. Um, it would be kind of a gradual change to him. Again, not change to who he is as a character or how he acts, but it'd be a change as he starts to like compile the profile on the senator and start to realize just like, oh, this isn't this isn't really the kind of villain I'm used to. This is like a, a different kind of evil. And you would still see him do his Spider-Man stuff. You would still see him make jokes and, and quips and, th- and things like that. Um, 
because that's a part of who Spider-Man is as a character. And that's also a part of, to show my psychologist side a little bit, that's a part of how he copes with the world he's in. Is that like, um, if you read um, the <laughs> Earning to Crawl story by Dan Slott, um, that's, that humor and that lighter approach is the reason why he, he wants to be Spider-Man is that he can show a different way. He can show that kind of light in the darkness by being a lighthearted kind of hero. Um, and so if anything, that side of him would come out a bit more because he's trying to compensate for the fact that he's struggling to come to terms with like, this is a different kind of villain I have to deal with. This is a different kind of conflict that I have found myself in. Um, and I think that's really essential to who Spider-Man is, is that he's a character that through it all, you know, he comes home with a smile on his face. He makes jokes and things like that. But that is playing into the fact that he's trying to find the balance and he's trying to find the power within himself to be able to do that. Given everything he's seen and given everything that's happened to him. Right. Um, I think it's very important to remember that uh, Peter Parker isn't really a character you can easily categorize into like a comedy bracket or like a tragedy bracket. Right. He's a character who has parts of both inherent to him and the way he balances those things are what makes him such an interesting character. What makes him such a helpful character is that he still tries to find that balance at the end of the day. Um, and that's kind of what I would want to see and write in the show is him trying to come to terms with this and him confronting this while still trying to find the balance of life and the balance of, of offering hope, even in the face of this new type of threat. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that's, that was really kind of my only thing was like the, the, the balance of, Especially if you were dealing with like the MCU version, you know, the kind of the balance of the characteristics. And I, I mean, you answered that perfectly. So, yeah. So, Josh, cl closing thoughts on this project? Uh, so, I think it would be, be safe to say that uh, Batman is to me what Spider-Man is to you. Is that correct? I would say that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So, so the question I'm getting ready to ask, okay, and I, and like I'm, I promise I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm not trying to be, you know, a jerk about this. But like when Batman for Superman came out and Justice came out, uh, I would run into people who loved these movies. People that were huge Batman fans. I mean, people that were Batman fans, I thought on my level, you know, or, or at least I assumed they were. And you know, who have read as much as I have, who have followed the character as much as I have, and I just thought that those two movies were complete and total betrayals of what Batman was, okay? Mm. So what, essentially what I'm asking you is like, is I, I want you to explain to me why you think this this aspect of Spider-Man needs to be explored. Um, you know, like what what is it about this 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 type, type of taking Spider-Man to the edge uh, needs to be explored in this way? You know, why, 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 why do we need to tell this story? That, that's, that's, that's a question I have. 
Sure. Um, I think that this is a story that is worth being explored because, um, and you kind of say it in your question, you do say it in your question, that um, that this version of Spider-Man being taken to the edge. Um, in my opinion, as someone who's read a lot of Spider-Man comics over the years, <laughs> ever since I was six years old, um, Spider-Man is a character who in various ways, that's a lot of what happens to him. Uh, that's kind of a central theme in the hero's journey in general. But for Spider-Man especially, I feel like, he's a character who's taken to the edge. Um, one of the most influential comic books stories in history, the death of Gwen Stacy. Um, that was Peter emotionally being taken to the edge, right? Um, um, you even have like the closing panel of that comic being Peter like shaking his fist at the goblin saying, you know, Goblin, you'll die for this. Like, that kind of emotional blow of him being being taken to the edge in that way. Um, every time Spider-Man fights Sinister Six, you know, that's, that is a physical and psychological kind of version of being taken to the edge. Of, of just like, oh my gosh, there's six of these dudes I have to fight while foiling all their plans, while saving everyone I can save, you know, that exhaustion, that physical exploitation by his enemies, that's a version of Spider-Man being taken to the edge. Um, it's something that happens to him. Um, you know, he died. Like, <laughs> Slot made the very bold decision to kill him, and he had to watch as Otto Octavius kind of occupied his body and and carried on his name and his legacy and did things to that legacy that he didn't agree with. That that was a version of him being taken to the edge. Um, the reason why I think this story is worth telling is that it's one of the more unique versions of that theme that happens to Spider-Man, in that this is the more philosophical version of being taken to the edge. Um, because again, you think about Spider-Man, there's a rogues gallery. Um, you know, a lot of them are evil. You know, I think that's easy to say. You have a guy like Orman Osborne, who's like hilariously evil is the only, is the only description I can give to him. Like the kinds of things that Osborne does and says are just like, so evil it feels like he's trying too hard right um that's a character who who did who like he he thought up and created a cure for cancer but used it exclusively as a way to kill deadpool like he's he's hilariously evil <laughs> like it's you know um but um but this story would give us a philosophical version of being taken to the edge and that spider-man has to confront this new this new type of evil this new type of villain that he has to overcome um and i think that that's a story worth telling because spider-man is one of in my opinion is one of the most 
philosophically important characters in all of fiction. Um, and I feel like this story says a lot of really important philosophical things about him that just aren't talked about very often because it's not a very well-known story, um, even among a lot of, a lot of Spider-Man fans. Um, and so I think it would tell something new. I think it would offer up a new way to study and understand his character. And by the end of the show, you still have that bit of hope. You still have that that hope of him coming out of it and being like, I can't let myself be that person. I can't let myself get out of control. You know, what I mean to people, what I mean to my loved ones and to my community is too important to let myself come anywhere close to doing that again. Um, and so you'd still have that hopeful idea of him not completely losing himself despite, again, being taken to the edge in a different way. Um, yeah. Well, like, so, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously uh, acquiescing to you as far as the not Spider-Man goes, okay? So, like, if you disagree with this concept, that's perfectly fine. Um, one of the reasons that I don't think Death of Gene Wolf works as a story is because um, it's it's so much not a Spider-Man story that philosophically, the and in my opinion, the philosophy of Spider-Man, uh, and, and this is through all of his villains, so you bring, bring Goblin. So Spider-Man, of course, is the Uncle Ben thing of great powers comes great responsibility. And he's kind of a reverse horror story, right? I mean, he's mm. he's like, this thing happens to him. He has no control over. And up until 1966, whenever, whenever Spider-Man was, mm. uh, up until that point, every time that happened, most of the time the person became a, you know, a, a kill, like, you know, a swamp, uh, you know, a swamp monster or a vampire or whatever. And so you have this kind of reverse horror story where he takes the horror that's happened to him and turns into a good thing. And all of his bad guys are the opposite of that. They go out and they search for this power without the responsibility. And that's the central conflict that I see. Mm -hmm. The problem with Death of Gene Wolf is when you bring in a character that's, you know, a, a you know, a serial killer, um, is that he's so not related to Spider-Man that in my opinion, everything about that story, the entire onus is on Spider-Man. And then the end of it, where, you know, he just loses it to me, it doesn't really feel earned. And I, I, I and, and you, and it's, yeah, you're right. It's unique in that it's something that hasn't happened to Spider-Man, but it's really not unique in the mythos. I mean, you know, you've got Daredevil dropping bullseye on his head. Mm. You know, you've got, you know, Hulk carrying abomination in two. I mean, you got you have this happening before, and when you deal with Death of Gene Wolf at this point in Spider-Man's mythos, he's the central core morality of the Marvel universe, and it just seemed like the the story itself to me just was a a real you know just somebody going well you know we haven't tried Spider-Man with a serial killer before let's see what happens, mm. and it just it just kind of fell flat for me, um, but. I, you know, I guess it's it's one of those things where you know I just I, I you know I, I I I'm I'm an old uh, I'm 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 older than my years say that I am because I'm really the the old fogey of the group and the 
the characters I like, I like seeing the core of them put into situations and seeing what happens then. Whereas, you know, taking Spider-Man and throwing up against a serial killer and just, you know, having him lose it, you know, um, I, I, it makes me ask a lot of questions. I mean, that's why, why is Green Goblin alive? Because to your point, Norman's done way worse things to Spider-Man, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, it makes me ask why he didn't kill Craven at the end of Craven's Last Hunt, which, by the way, if you were going to, in my opinion, if you were going to tell a story about Spider-Man obsession that hasn't been told, that's the one that needs to be told. Uh, why mm-hmm. does he kill Craven at the end of that one? You know, how come, how how in the world is Cletus Cassidy not brain damaged? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know how in the world is Chameleon not dead? You know, I mean, he's he's betrayed, you know, uh, the U.S. to terrorists on 5,000 occasions. You know, I mean, that you, in my opinion, there's all these questions you have to ask, you know, in order mm-hmm. to tell this, in order to tell this story where this moment where Spider-Man loses it. And in my opinion, the comic doesn't, doesn't speak enough to why Spider-Man is so invested in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the challenge is, it, since, since I'm very clearly into this with, you know, wary eyes. The challenge you'd have with someone like me and some other old jerk like me is that you would have to make it. You'd have to improve on the comic, in my opinion, because you'd have to do mm. something to make it personal for Spider-Man. Because right. if not, then it's just Spider-Man's Punisher. And it's like, I mean, he's not going to kill him, but I mean, come on, you know. And mm. that's that's the that that that's where I think the challenge would be, Al. Mm. Yeah, does yeah. that make sense? Please? It does. It does. Yeah, bring up a lot of good points. Um, it's kind of <laughs> it, it, it is kind of funny to me that like uh, you propose um, at the beginning um, of your response there, you kind of pose the central idea behind kind of the contrast between Spider Man and um, his Rose Gallery. Um, um, so, so, which was very well said, by the way. Um, but, um, and then, like, you kind of ended that with, like, the idea of, like, a serial killer t- doesn't seem seem to line up with that kind of paradigm. Um, um, it is interesting to me because, to me, that's exactly why I do find this idea so interesting, is that um, it does not follow that kind of paradigm. And that's kind of the basic idea is that this is something new that Peter would have to kind of struggle with and wrestle with. Um, That is one of the reasons why I think it would make for an interesting story is because it's such a unique experience for him, especially at that point. Um, But um, yeah, I do think one of the reasons why I opted to make this into a show as compared to a film was that I do think spending a little bit of extra time with the characters and with the plot and with kind of the timeline of it and stuff. Um, I think you could do a lot more to kind of show why Peter is so invested in it. Um, you could do a lot more to show um, why this is such a unique kind of situation for him to respond to. Um, uh, uh, Lost my train of thought for my next comment. But um, anyway, though, um, 
I do agree. I think that Spider-Man, his one of the real values that he brings to the MCU and to his stories in general is this idea that he is the center of morality and that um, he, he kind of offers a an ethical stability um, that a lot of other characters kind of struggle with on their personal journeys. Um, I personally think that it would be interesting to see um, a story where that stability and that focus is kind of um, it's kind of hardened and tempered through the fire. Um, I kind of interpret the story as an opportunity for his role as that kind of authority to to really be forged in, right? Like this this would be the turning point for Spider-Man of coming to the final decision again of taking in all the information and all the influence of things around him and really coming to the point of, you know, I'm too important to other people and what I do is too important to let myself be that kind of person. Right. I can't, I can't risk ever even approaching that line again. And that gives him kind of a renewed vigor and a new, um, kind of renewed stability that is going to help him be completely the character that we know him to be after so many years of reading about him. Um, and that's kind of the idea uh, behind it. It's always, it's always hard when you're trying to balance a character who's been known for so long to be, to be good, to be the best hero you know, ethically speaking. Um, it's always hard to try to write a story that that kind of delves into that in an interesting way without turning into tropes or without kind of corrupting the character. Um, but I think if given the chance to go on this kind of journey with him and to expand and improve upon the story from the source material a bit, I think this would be an opportunity to really see that the things that make Spider-Man Spider-Man um, are still there. And they're still there through the worst of times, and they're still there in in Peter's worst version of himself. And I think that's one of the main things that kind of appealed to me about the story in the first place, is that I kind of interpreted that as, you know, other alien influences and things and stuff aside. Um, and of course not including one more day, which I don't even consider to be canon for the character. Um, this is this is Peter's worst version of himself. This is a version of himself that he feels the least comfortable with. And to see him struggle with that, but still come out on the other side as, as someone who's determined to be the best version of himself, I think that would still honor the character uh, while still being um, an interesting story. Okay, and and, and look, I, I know we got to move on, and like I said, this is this is this 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 shouldn't be a whole nother podcast when we're talking the philosophy of of these characters. But the only the only issue I have there is is that I'm not totally because okay because Spider Man so so other than this point other than this point 
Okay, Al. Like I said, you've read way more Spider-Man comics than I have. Other than this point, you know, can you name another time where Spider-Man is a vengeful character? Um, because that's not really his. In my opinion, that's really not. That's not his weakness. You know, I mean, that, I mean, if right. you know, if, if if you know, I, I I hate using Batman as a vengeful character, but to to a sense, he is. Mm-hmm. I think he, he transcends it or attempts to transcend it. But in a right. sense, it, there's a there's a revenge right. nature to what he does. You know, mm-hmm. but Spider-Man gets rid of that, presumably puts that revenge nature behind him pretty early on in his career. Mm-hmm. So, so like like I'm saying, like at this point, so like uh, Death of Gene Wolf came out, what, 2005, 2006, something like that. Yeah. At this point in Spider-Man's career, uh, you know, like I said, you know, I mean, Norman Osborn has, you know, killed his girlfriend, um, has impregnated Gwen Stacy that we find out later on, okay. uh, which you probably don't consider that canon either. I don't either, but still, it's no. there. <laughs> it's there. Uh, you know, um, you've got, you know, Aunt May's had a hit put out on her. You know, I mean, you've got all these things that have happened. And this, you know, Craven buries him alive and takes his suit. You know, I mean, you've got all these things that happen. And so, like, when I was, I'll tell you what, when I was reading Death of Gene Wolf, the way I thought it was going in, literally the way I thought it was going in, and I thought it would have been a fantastic ending, is he cases him down. They're getting ready to have this, you know, this this monumental, you know, fight, you know, and, and like, you know, and everyone's thinking Batman and Joker again, you know, because that's how Batman always beats up Joker, just beats him up, you know, and, and then Joker kind of wins because he wants him to beat him up, you know, and they're going to have this monumental fight, and I literally thought the way it would end, because I thought it was a smart, I, I thought it was a really smart comic, and the way it would end, I thought it would be Spider-Man just goes up, he tries to have this, you know, Senior tries to have this big, long soliloquy about, you know, about life, that serial you know, vain serial killers do or whatever. And Spider-Man just goes up, webs him up and leaves it for the police. And they ask him about it. He's like, hey, that's what I do. You know, no, he's not killing anybody anymore. So we're done. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought, because that to me, you know, is the, would have been the subversion that I was ready for. And instead what they did was they were like, well, let's do a subversion of the Spider-Man character, you know, where, where he's now this vengeful person. And that's what I'm saying now. You're going to have to really invest you know, into the character to make me believe that's going to happen because mm-hmm. it's just, you know, you have 50 years of history where that ha- hasn't been the case. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that to me is, is the, is the, is, is the crux of that story. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I, and I'm, you know, and, and, and I, I think, I think that right there, you know, if, if you could, if you can, if you can convince me somehow to bring him to that edge, you know, right. I mean, like, right. I mean, I mean, at that point, he's gone through gauntlet. I mean, gaunt- we're literally every single, we're for a year and a half, every single one of his villains broke out of prison and tried to kill him. You know, and like, you know, he, it, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. It, it was just, a, it to me, there was a, the, the, to me, it just, it's, it's, it's not as, I hate to, I hate to use this term, particularly superhuman, but it's just, it's just not believable to me. The story like mm-hmm. eighty five, by the way. Death of Gene Wolf came out in 85? Death of Gene the Wolf is 1985, yes. Really? Written by Peter David. Uh, yeah, well, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, yeah. It didn't like, come out as... Hate as that, but... Um, yeah. Um, but no, and... Um, and two... Two quick things, again, I know we're t- taking away too much time on this, 
But um, <laughs> and that's my fault. I'll, no, I'll no, 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 no. It's fine. Um, to get, I mean, I keep responding, so like I'm, <laughs> I'm just as much, I'm just as much at fault as you are. Um, and like the first thing um is that um, one it would um a part of it is and I did a terrible job of explaining this when I was first talking about the idea for it. A part of it would be that um, the show, especially the first half of the show, would focus just as much on the skin eater as it does on eater. And um, the purpose for that would be to really showcase um, how manipulative and how influential um, that type of psychopathic personality can be. Um, again, you can very fairly say that this whole idea is just an opportunity for me to just smush together two of my favorite things possible. Uh, I'm in a one, which is Spider-Man in forensic psychology. But, um, and I think that would kind of feed into a lot more towards explaining like why Spider-Man is so invested in this and why it's such a different kind of um, experience for him to respond to and why he does respond to it so differently. Um, and so that would be um, a part of it to kind of um, address that concern uh, you have, which again is a very valid concern. Um, and then I forget what the other thing uh, I was going to say was. So there you go. <laughs> well, I, I'm I, even as uh, critical as I'm as I'm being. I'm I'm with Jake. You know, any any uh, any Spider-Man idea uh, that you come up with, I mean, I would definitely trust you with. Uh, I will. <laughs> the last thing I will say, though, uh, you're going to have to really work on Tom Holland if you're going to have him go. Uh, you know, crazy on a dude at the end of it. I'm just saying that's going to be a that, that that'll be that'll be way different from what we've seen from him. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> I believe yeah, we're that, done, that, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. No. no. <laughs> that was a that was that was it was a long entry, but it, it was a very good entry. Uh, a lot a lot of a lot of talking points. Uh, a lot of talking points for a future podcast, possibly as well. Um, <laughs> But Al, let's let's uh, let's go ahead and hear, hear what your last one is. Let, let's 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 get that, th that third one out there. Okay, sure. Um, so um, I'll preface this one just really quick by saying um, this is a project I've been thinking about for a while. Um, that being said, I don't have all of the story beats completely planned out. Um, I just know that the central ideas are very interesting to me. And uh, I would love to see played out. Um, so that being said, this is where y'all's input on this one would really, really come in handy. And I want to hear like a lot of ideas and things like that, because this is one um, that, again, is very interesting to me, but I just don't have all of the details worked out in my head. Um, so this last project, uh, the wild card project, if you will, um, would be a comic book series um or rather just on um, a storyline i suppose um would be on um, the comic book 
um, centering around the Teen Titans, you know, slash, slash Young Justice kind of corner of the DC universe. Um, and basically the name for um, the name for the storyline uh, would be the Dark Titans. And what this storyline would entail is the central conflict would be a conflict between um, kind of two versions of of the Teen Titans, or rather the Young Justice League would probably be a more inclusive um, way to think about it. Um, so uh, this is especially for Josh because the storyline focuses very much on characters who who are in the Bat family. Um, the basic idea is that um, the Teen Titans are going around and they're doing their thing that they usually do. Um, and um, one of their classic antagonists, of course, is Aid Wilson as Deathstroke. Um, and um, kind of the main triggering event for the storyline is that Deathstroke, um, during one of their fights, um, Deathstroke kills a Titan. Um, the two main Titans I've gone kind of back and forth um, between on who I think would... Uh, Roy Harper. Roy Harper so, and Roy Harper. I was about to, was about to, Harper, was about to say. So, wow. So there were two I kept thinking about. The one I was leaning towards is Roy Harper, just for a couple reasons. <laughs> one, because yes. I think we're all in agreement. He just isn't a very interesting character. Um, or, get him out of there. Just, you know. We're a good character, right? Um, I'm sorry to any Roy Harper fans who are listening to this podcast. I know there are there are tens of you. Um, but um, is that... Uh, he kills Roy Harper in a battle. Um, and obviously this is taken very seriously and very hard by the Titans and um, the young heroes and vigilantes who are in that kind of demographic. Um, the central conflict that kind of arouses from arises from this triggering event um, arouses. Mm. That was a Freudian slip um, <laughs> that arises from this triggering event is that um, is that Jason Todd is Red Hood and everybody I know in, immediately can tell that this is an owl idea because it features Jason Todd um, the idea you've already killed that, Roy Harper Josh wants to fund it now yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, is that Jason Todd, um, in retaliation, hunts down Deathstroke. Um, and with the cooperation of kind of like his own kind of ragtag team of um, other young vigilantes, possibly some reformed villains as well, um, he hunts down and captures Deathstroke. Um, and then... Um, on a live stream, 
Um, I kind of joke between doing it in public or on a live stream. I think doing it on a live stream kind of fits Jason's flair for the dramatic and also kind of fits into the modern era a bit more. Um, and during a live stream that um, he has online, um, Jason publicly executes Slade Wilson in retaliation for killing Roy Harper. Um, the main conflict comes from this, and it comes from the conflict between Jason Todd, who, who believes he's done the right thing. Um, I know we're somewhat retconning some of the character development he's had over the years, like in Batman Eternal and Batman Robin Eternal and things like that, which are both stories that I absolutely love. Um, but I do have a special place in my heart for the more vengeful, uh, very dramatic indicated uh, personality of Jason Todd um, is that he believes w that what he did is the right thing and that he has saved the lives of future young heroes. Um, and this group of other vigilantes that are reformed villains are kind of his new version of the Titans. Um, and they are in direct conflict with the Teen Titans slash Young Justice team um, that hit Grayson leads. Um, who, who obviously, Dick Grayson takes the opposite approach and stance and says, no, we have to be better than that. We can't execute, um, we can't execute villains because that just, it drags us down to their level. It questions what heroes really are in the community and what people's perceptions are of us and what you know, the influence we have on people. Um, and so, again, it's that classic kind of dichotomy between those two characters. Uh, and they're in opposition with each other. Um, and this will lead to kind of tension building up towards um, a bit more of an open conflict between the young heroes who side with Dick Grayson and the young heroes and vigilantes are foreign villains who side with Jason Todd um, having conflict with each other. Now, the reason why I think this would appeal, the way I have this thought out is it appeals in a unique way to each of us. Um, to me, I get to write about Jason Todd and how he fits into the dynamics of the Bat family, which is one of my favorite things to read and write about. Um, for Josh, it kills Roy Harper. Um, which I know he loves. Um, for Jacob, yeah. it's um, for Jacob. It's just as much a Dick Grayson story as it is a Jason Todd story. Um, the way it appeals to Ginny is that in this building conflict that's coming up, that they know eventually they're going to be kind of at each other's throats, and conflict is going to happen. Um, each team and team leader is kind of preoccupied with recruiting um, heavy hitters, as you will, right, for the upcoming battle. Um, Grayson is able to pretty easily recruit um, Superboy, um, depending on... Um, depending on how you want to write it, there is um, a story that's very dear to my heart as one of 
uh, my favorite stories of features Hooper Girl. That's like a team up between Jason Todd and Hooper Girl, and it's really good. Um, you could say that Hooper Girl is kind of torn, and it's just kind of like you guys are going to figure this out yourselves. I kind of refused to take part in this. Um, if you don't think that's a good approach to her character, you could say she's off world doing space stuff, whatever it might be. Um, so Jason really needs to recruit a heavy hitter to his side. So the young hero that he kind of puts all his eggs in one basket for is trying to recruit the daughter of Trigon herself in Raven. Hell uh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, so one of the big um, storylines that can be in the midst of this um, building conflict is kind of the various attempts, um, kind of recruitment attempts and conversations that are had between Raven and Dick Grayson and Raven and Jason Todd and kind of have like um, a courtship of Raven, um, if you will, to figure out what side she will go to. Um, and so it's just kind of that kind of narrative kind of leading up to a big conflict. Um, I have a couple of more details, but I'll go ahead um, and call it right there for now because I want to hear what y'all think. Okay. Well, since you since you make sure that all three of us had at least one stake in this, who wants to go first on this one? <laughs> I mean, I, I can go, yeah. Um, I think okay. it's an excellent idea. Uh, anything Teen Titans... Um, automatically interested in um and i think the subject matter is very fascinating um i love my girl raven love that she's getting some love um but yeah no i i gotta go to i gotta ask you about casting though i'm very curious about that oh um um this would be a comic book oh i'm sorry i am so sorry (laughs) i missed that part Uh, it would be hey if the comic book takes off, this would be like a hell of a series, like for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. No, you did say that at the beginning. I'm sorry, Al. Um, well, I don't really have any questions though. I just, I really like the idea. Um, it's very creative. Um, thanks for bringing it to us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I. Uh... I love the idea twice as much as I dislike the last one. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Took me a second. So, so that the um this uh this you're right this is right up my alley. Um uh your all the concepts of it are fantastic. I I the only thing I think you I I don't think you're really um, disregarding any of the character development that Jason Todd's had. And by the way, that's not me saying Jason Todd's like, you know, like a, like an evil person or anything. Um, but I think, you know, Jason Todd's his central weakness in a lot of ways. And this is even in Batman Eternal and Batman and Robin Eternal is the fact that he's just kind of, he's always on the outside. He just is. Whether by choice or by other people's choices, he just is. He's not Dick Grayson. And yeah, he's not Dick Grayson. <laughs> yeah, you know. And the um, and for me, the reason that Roy Harper is the right one to kill off, and I typically don't like killing off characters, but 
You're not killing about let's just let's let's end Roy Harper. You know, I mean, well, poor <laughs> actually, poor guy did uh, he he did die in uh, um, what was the Tom King? Oh Lord, Heroes in Crisis. They killed him off panel in Heroes in Crisis, which is yeah, kind of yeah. weird. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but but we're, we're we need to figure that, that happened anyway because this is much better than Heroes in Crisis already. Um, but um, the reason Roy Harper is the right one to pick is because, in my opinion. You can actually make that ad even more gravitas to Jason Todd's decision to go and kill Deathstroke because he can be like, you know, how many times are these outside characters going to get killed and no one cares about it? Because DC is really bad about that. You mm-hmm. know, DC kills spoiler, you know, uh, just randomly, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, DC kills Jason Todd because, you know, he's just he's not as likable as Dick Grayson, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. And Roy Harper's, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I don't like the character is because he is consistently the most poorly written character, you know, whether he's on heroin or, you know, beating people up in an alley with a dead cat. All that I said is actually true and happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether, you know, he, he just is, he's an outside character. And you can have Jason Todd just being like, you look, enough is enough. You know, it's not, it's not enough for us. It's like, oh, it's really sad. You know, we're failing these characters or we're failing these people and I'm going to go deal with it. Uh, the one thing that I would, I, I would I disagree with it being a live feed. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he doesn't even do it in public. The only reason I do that is because there's a very famous death that happens in DC by a live feed with Maxwell Lord. Uh, Wonder Woman kills him on a live feed, uh, and I just think you know you know mm-hmm. it's gotcha. it, it, it's just not good to have the same things happen. Um, the only thing yeah. I'm really interested in, and I know you thought of it, I know you thought of it, Al, is you know who goes on what team. You know, because, like, I'm sitting here the whole time you're thinking, and I'm going, okay, you know, at first glance, I think Starfire would definitely be with Dick Grayson, but she's got her, you know, like, I'm just going to fry you, too. Yeah. I think, And I think Raven being kind of the center point is interesting, because I think, because Raven, I think, could go either way. I I think he's a Black Widow style, like like from Civil War. Yeah, I don't know where she'd end up. You know, I think I think she'd go either way. Uh, so like, so that would be my question to you. I know you thought of it, you know, what are your teams? How do you see it? You know, how do you see Team Titan Civil War breaking down here? I see. Yeah. Um, uh, real quick. Also, uh, just to, just tossing this out since we already have been kind of tiptoeing around it. Titans versus the outsiders make it the new outsiders team. Like we already, you already said they're the outside characters, you know, for sure. Roll, roll, roll with that. Yeah. Sorry, um, keep going. No, no, you're Who, fine. Who's on the outsiders? Who's on the sides? Yeah. Um, so, so I have thought about it. Um, with that being said, I can't. I can't decide on solid team compositions. And y'all, this is why I leave like all. I usually leave like all of the fiction writing completely to you guys because like I think (gasps) I I think I do a pretty good job of having ideas and having like worlds that I want those ideas to be in but whenever I try to write like fiction stuff I always struggle with figuring out the details and figuring out like specifics and being able to come to a decision on that kind of thing so all that being said um about it and uh, Josh it's interesting that you brought up Starfire 
because Starfire to me in this storyline would be one of the uh, would be one of the more interesting characters because um, obviously she has very a very deep allegiance to um, to Dick Grayson and to kind of the legacy of the Teen Titans and things like that. But um, again, she does have that that streak in her that's a lot more aggressive. That's a lot more, you know, um, you know, to borrow a line from Breaking Bad of like oh more half measures. Um, and so I think um, seeing her kind of struggle through this decision and being kind of unsure um, of of whose side she's really on, if she's devoted to the person or if she's devoted to the ideal, right? Um, um, same thing with Raven um, as well. I think Raven, who's a lot of her character is based on the idea that she struggles with her self-image of, you know, her her origins of being the daughter of Trigon, trying to balance that with all of the good things she's done and all of the hope that she's helped instilled along with the darker parts of her nature. I think she would also be a character that would be interesting to see how she struggles with what side to eventually go on. Uh, all that being said, for um, for the outsiders, or like the Dark Titans, uh, I really like the idea of it being Chase and Todd. Um, I thought about it a lot. I like the idea of Jason Todd only being able to recruit um, one me- one other member of the Bat family, um, and that is Cassandra Kane. Um, yep. I would have him be able to successfully recruit her. Um, I'm I'm going to be honest, just based on the story, um, of the team-up story between Jason and um, um, Supergirl, I really like the idea that she eventually goes to his side. I think she's another character that has kind of, part of her history is very hopeful as a member, as like a person from like the super family, the super legacy, but she also has parts of her history that are still very dark. Um, you know, she had enough rage to like have a red lantern ring at one point. You know, um, say that. yeah. Um, and so I think I would really like to see her on Jason Todd's team as well. Um, I think also dipping into the villains a bit, I think would be interesting. Um, just because. And you could do some fun things with that as well. You could have, have some villains who are like legitimately trying to reform and be um, a better version of themselves, and but still align themselves with an ideology that still makes sense to them. Um, and you can also play with the idea of just like there are some villains who like choose to reform and are just like, sure, Jason, I, I will join you. But to be honest, this is only so that you don't execute me the same way you executed Deathstroke. Like <laughs> that's really that's really the only thing I'm I'm going for here. Um, uh, and uh, this may be interpreted as as kind of as kind of cliche or kind of 
um, based very much in nostalgia and what um, I'm familiar with in um, in Teen Titan stories. But um, I think Tara as well would be a really good central character for Jason's team. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense to have her be featured in the story as well. Again, I'm not completely up to date on DC Comics. I'm not completely familiar with where all the characters are, but I mean, Stranger Stranger Redcons have happened, especially in DC. So I feel kind of comfortable with throwing out ideas for teams. Um, And that would be kind of the core. Um, On the other side for on the Teen Titans. Um, Real quick. Yeah. Um I've got I've got one that you're that I think you're you're kind of you're kind of jumping around. And I, I mean, maybe you've thought of her, maybe you haven't. Uh Rose Wilson. I mean you Oh, know, for sure. She, for sure. She goes she goes back and forth between, you know, I mean uh, different writers have, tra- have treated her different ways. You know, some have been like, Oh, she hates Deathstroke, she wants nothing to do with them. Some have been like, you know, she's the successor, you know. Um, but I mean, you could easily, you could easily you know, write her in either way, honestly. But honestly, I think, I think she'd work better on Jason's team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Just keep, no, no, keep, keep, keep going on, on the Titans. That was cool. Um, and then on the Titans team, again, the, uh, the leader of the, um, uh, team would be Dick Grayson. Um, he'd be able to recruit, he'd be able to be a bit more successful in recruiting the Bat family, right? Um, he'd probably um, have Harper Gordon on there. He'd probably have him, him Drake on there. Um, I think uh, I think Damien is the first person to join him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah. so he would be a lot more successful with recruiting the Bat family um, than Jason was. Um, I believe. Superboy would uh, would make sense to be on his team as well. Um, I love C- Cyborg, and I think that Cyborg is a sensible choice for being on the team. I know in recent years Cyborg's kind of taken on a more like adult role in the Justice League, but in my heart, he'll always be a part of like the Teen Titans slash Young Justice kind of area of the universe. Um, I think he makes sense there. Um, I think Kid Flash as well would fit very well um, on Dick Grayson's team, which would also, since he's a Flash and like he's also very powerful as well, that would give Jason even more of kind of a desperate push to get Raven on his side just to kind of bulk up the power on his team. Um, and then again, as far I'm going back a bit to Raven. Um, I think um, kind of the more mystical side of the DC um, universe as well could also um, play a part in the conflict as well. Um, um, so like just as Jason is really trying to trying to get Raven, and that's kind of his desperate push to get some more power on his team. You could have some interesting interactions um, as well uh, between Hit Grayson and Zatanna. Um, I think those, I think those kind of interactions could open the door to a lot of interesting conversations and a lot of interesting ideological um, 
things to come up. Um, I'm I'm restraining myself because my first draft of this idea had Constantine in there, and I was just like, "No, stop it, Al! I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I, I, I know you want him, but but no, it it does not make sense." <laughs> okay, hear me out. Atrocitus, Constantine, and Jason Todd all on the same team. <laughs> stop! I, I told you about my hypertension already. <laughs> <laughs> um Um, yeah and that's the thing with this kind of idea that part of the universe is so large i mean there's tons of great beloved characters i haven't even talked about uh um, you can do like alderaan and um just all kinds of characters you could have an interesting um, examination of kind of the dichotomy between um Anna, Troy, and Cassie as the two I was already thinking about that. It uh, had that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just such a huge wealth of characters. Two, two but this was... Even. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I'm not sure. Since you bring it up, what kid flash do you think would fit the best on Jason's team? Honestly, I think it'd be easier for him to get Bart than than Wally. Mm-hmm. You don't think so? Well, what, what Wally are you talking about? Are you talking about the Wally we gave back to the sad white people, or are we talking about the Wally that they yeah. created? Yeah. They recreated. I'm I'm talking because about. We're talking about sad white people. Wally, sad white people. Wally needs to go with Dick Grayson. Yeah, that's if it's if it's young black Wally uh, that's somehow a cousin to Wally West. Uh, he needs to go with uh, uh, Jason. Okay, I, I, uh, I could see that. But Bart makes more sense with Dick Grayson too. You think so? Hey, he's yeah. a fifteen-year-old that's got ADHD, and he—that's true. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he's also, literally called Impulse. <laughs> uh, also, as far as um, speedsters go, one of the ideas I thought of um, was Jason being able to recruit. Um, 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 being able to recruit um, in Hersha um, as like as kind of like his counter to the speedsters on Dick Grayson's team. I mean, once again, sticking with the outsider characters, you know, well, to a me, lesser known character. So, uh, Al, I, I'll be honest. The you know, and of course, this is, this might be one of those things that's almost. Um, two on the nose, but if we're gonna do the idea of of uh, you know, if we're gonna do that, the idea that Jason's getting all these outsider characters, um, I think the characters need to be the type of characters that are hard to like pinpoint as this is what these characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the anti Dick Grayson <laughs> almost because like Dick Grayson really easy. I mean, one of my favorite characters, but really easy to understand you can explain dick grayson mm-hmm. anybody in about three paragraphs you really mm-hmm. can't do that with jason todd right. and so like for me the the outsider characters like calderon would have to be one of them um mm-hmm. just because you know i mean outside of, outside of being outside of being an atlantean mm-hmm. um you know the new the the new thing is he's, he's a homosexual in the new comics um and so like you've got a whole you got a whole bunch of you know, issues dealing with there. 
Um, and then someone like Donna Troy, I think, would make sense on, on Jason's team. And then I think someone like uh, Blue Beetle, uh, mm. who's, who is a character who literally the crux of the Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle is, I don't know how this thing works. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that character makes sense on Jason's side. And then one thing that I'd love to see him bring back, because it was a really underrated comic book, but the new Dr. Fate was a teenage Egyptian boy. Yeah. And I think he'd be fantastic on Jason Todd's team. I'm Very cool. Because Dr. Fate is just strange, man. Yeah. Just a strange, strange concept. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I, so I mean, I mean, what I'm saying is it's a really good idea, because I'm sitting here just thinking of like, ooh, this would be really cool, and this would be really cool, and, you know. But yeah, I think you're right, Cassandra Kane. uh, you know, would be would definitely be up there. Uh, you know, but once you get outside character, she's a former assassin. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's a great idea, man. I'm gonna turn it over to Jake. Jake, what what are you thinking? I've, I mean, you know, and in, in, in terms of rosters, I mean, of course, you've already to to me, you've you've nailed most of the, like the heavy hitters, like the main characters and everything. Um, I think that a storyline like this. Because I like that you're using a big cast of characters, um, you know, and I think that a storyline like this would need, I mean, if it, if it was us writing them, I think it would need all four of us. Because I think I think you would do it, you would have to do it like a Batman Eternal um, kind of style to where mm-hmm. like each week, like like make it, make it a weekly, each week was a different writer, you know, kind of thing. Um, and kind of a different focus on a different storyline. One of my favorite parts of Batman Eternal, you know, both of them, was the fact that you were able to focus on so many different characters, you know, week to week, and you never felt like anyone was messing was missing out on. I say screen time because it was like a show. Um, you never you never felt uh, shortchanged on any characters, um, any any of them, you know, even even care even if the character got maybe four or five issue arcs, you know, you never felt, uh, you never felt like they were underused. Uh, even Jim Corrigan, you know, came out, uh, who yeah, is, comes Spectre. out of, yeah, Spectre comes out of nowhere in like issue like 17 or something. And then there's this, uh, like four issue arc where, uh, it's him. Who's he with? I know they're, I know they're, he's with Batwing. is he, with, yeah, exactly. He's, he's with Batwing and they're like investigating like Deacon Blackfire, like this cult. And you're like, this is actually a really cool storyline that still fits in with everything else that's happening. Mm-hmm. And so with a storyline like this and, you know, honestly, with a lot, a lot of your event comics, I think could maybe benefit from this kind of idea instead of just doing so many tie-ins in one month. Um, and having no idea how to read them all, um, doing it like this to where you know you have all these multiple storylines coming together, um, but at the same time, that leads to my primary question. So, so I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, issue one's finale. You know, Deathstroke has a bullet in the head. I mean, there, there you go. That's your. Mm-hmm. That's your that's your starter, you know. I mean, your your immediate starter is that you know I ruined everything Brad Meltzer ever did, you know, for this character, <laughs> and uh, Deathstroke is no longer invincible, and I'm okay with that. I love Deathstroke; I think he's a great character. But this this idea that he can be that he's basically unstoppable, I I've never really enjoyed. Um, 
I, th- uh, I think one of the better versions of him has been, actually been in uh, James Tinney in the Force recent uh, Batman run, where Batman knows how, how how good he is, but they're constantly one-upping each other, which is a really, really cool dynamic for a fight scene. But um, my question as a whole is what is this leading to? So you, you have that, you have the starting point, you have the, you have this, you have the starting point where it's, you know, something big happens. It splits, you know, multiple teenage, uh, teenage to young adult heroes to the core. And they're going to basically the two major leaders. And you have this epic, you know, duel of the Robins basically happening, you know, and everything. And I mean, and that, that could be just your, your finale, you know, but I am curious, is there was there is there like a final like arc that you're kind of working towards? Like, you know, if you know, when you have, you know, like like, like looking at just the basis of like civil war, you know, it ends in the bunker. You know, it ends with, you know, is Iron Man gonna kill Winter Soldier? Did Zemo win? You know, these kind of concepts. Um, is it more so just an ideological fight between the two, or is there like a like a big like finale that you kind of had planned, or was there anything that you kind of had in mind already? Or I know you said that some of the story beats you were kind of still kind of iffy on, but I was just curious if you had kind of thought about that. Right. Um, I do have an idea uh, for where it's all kind of heading. Um, again, you uh, um, you get to the point where. Um, conflict is happening you know there's there's a battle there's showdown between jason uh uh, between jason and dick um the way i I kind of foresee that going especially kind of the showdown between the two leaders is that um during this fight um jason uh jason todd and dick grayson are very very evenly matched right um and they're going at each other and it's just kind of the idea that um that the way that they differ from each other ideologically are the very reasons why they're able to match each other physically in the fight as well you know um hasten is being very aggressive you know he's going for he's going for the heavy hits he's going um all out to like end the fight as quickly as possible whereas a grayson is being is being a bit more cautious and he's he's fighting a bit more defensively as well and those differences in their in their ideologies translate into the fight and kind of show that like it's difficult for either of them to really get the better of each other because there's such um, there's such kind of opposite reflections of each other, if that makes sense. Um, mm. And um, what eventually ends the fight and what um, eventually helps um, it Grayson overcome this challenge is just the fact that Dick Grayson on his team, he has a greater amount of people, and the people he has have have more belief in who he is and what he does than Jason has. Obviously, Jason Todd does have legitimate 
allies who share his ideas and who are all in on his side. But a lot of the people that we've seen Jason Todd recruit up to this point, a lot of them have also joined up out of kind of like fear, out of the very intimidating fact that, hey, the only bat kid who kills people is like talking to me and telling me I need to join his team. <laughs> like, I'm kind of <laughs> like, what's the dick about to do if I if I resist him? Like, hit hit me and then leave. Like, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna join Jason. <laughs> um, but that doesn't translate to the kind of teamwork and the kind of loyalty and relationships that Dick Grayson has with the people on his team. So kind of the pinnacle of the conflict would be Jason and Dick are very evenly matched. They're going against each other. Neither of them are really um, hitting or gaining any ground. And one by one, Jason just kind of gets overwhelmed by um, kind of the other members of the Bat family joining the fight against him. Um, and at the end of it, he realizes, he's just like, I can't, I literally physically can't do this. I like you guys out number me. Um, this, this isn't a fight I'm going to win. Uh, and what I think that does is, again, it shows why Dick Grayson is such a special character and why the other members of the Bat family are such special characters as well. Um, and it kind of gives magnification to those character traits. Um, so at this point, the fight's over, the conflict's over. Um, the vigilantes and people on Jason's side have either like been captured or like they've fled and things like that. Um, and true enough, just like in the fight scene they had, um, what shows the difference between Jason and and Dick um, are the same things that lead to the ending as well. Because um, at this point, Dick Grayson is like convinced that he needs to turn Jason Todd in. I kind of plan on having a scene where um, Dick is kind of debating within himself on what he needs to do with Jason. And... Um, he kind of has a conversation with, I can't decide if I wanted to be with Damien or with Barbara, but he has a conversation with one of them and eventually it leads to them just kind of telling him, like, Dick, I know it's hard, but you can't keep trying to save a person who doesn't want to be saved. And that's... To me, that's Jason Todd's whole thing, is that he's he has this community of people around him in the Bat family and in Bruce and in his companions and things like that who are there for him and want to offer him some kind of solace and some kind of shelter from his experiences and his emotions. But Jason Todd doesn't, at his core to me, Jason Todd does not believe there's anything wrong with him. He believes he's been wronged and he believes that there's bad things within him and there's damage within him. But at his core, he doesn't believe he, 
he needs other people's help. And so that's his whole thing, is that he's a person that everybody wants to try to save who does not want to be saved. Um, So Dick has this conversation with, again, whoever he has this conversation with. um, And then he goes, then he goes to Jason, who he has captured. And he said, and he says, okay, Jason, I can't let you go. I'm going to have to turn you in. And uh, they go on their way to turn Jason in. And Jason says, wait, there's something I want to say to you. And they have this conversation where they kind of talk about their ideologies. They talk about their experiences with the Bat family. Um, and, And Dick has a moment at the end where he's just like, why now why are you telling me all this because again at the end of the day dick really wants to believe that there's something he can do for jason um um and jason is just like um well i'm telling you all this because i'm not sure when i'll ever see you again and that's when um and that's when Supergirl shows up and comes and, like, takes him away and, like, flies away. And Dick is left with just, like, I, I hit it again. I trusted him. I believe that there was something in him, like, there that he wanted to be saved. And all that did was just allow him to s- s- slip away and, and do his thing again. And so that's kind of the, the ending I had imagined. It's very rough, um, I know. But um, and then from there, you can have a couple of different comics kind of exploring the fallout of that, exploring like what the kind of damaged relationships between the various heroes on, on either side are now that the conflict happened um, and things like that. But that's kind of the, the rough cut idea of how I perceive the ending. I mean, I love it, um, beginning to end. Like I, I one, I want to, I want to write it tomorrow. I mean, I, I or 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 see it tomorrow. You know, like, um, I mean, I, I'm I'm already imagining like certain like moments in it. I'm mm-hmm. I'm already imagining, you know. You know this epic artwork by like Tony Daniel or Jason Fabach or something because it because something like this would need need someone like them to do it in my opinion. Um, but like the 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 thing I'm most excited for is the fact that like like you like you said I mean you, this this storyline gets set up so much you know and really kind of reinvigorate you know the Titans in a way they haven't really had since, I mean, I know I'm, I'm a Mark for him all the time, but like maybe like Jeff Johns <laughs> run, like, mm-hmm. like Jeff Johns run or something like that. Because like, I know that there have been some good Titan stories. Don't get me wrong. Since then, um, I actually really liked Will Pfeiffer's uh, version of it. And later on in the new, later in the new 52, but at the same time, you know, and and Ben Percy uh, did a really good job with the, with the Damien led team, um, but at the at the same time, they there hasn't really been like a set storyline that was like in the kind of like the mainstream to where like 
everyone could pick this up and be like, dude, this is this is awesome. You know, this is the, the Teen Titans, you know, and one like this, you know, would really set up a lot um, for what you could do with the teams following that and the different characters following that. And and also, you know, you I mean, you 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 stuck to my, my number one rule about uh, about event comics, which is you you stay you're 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 wanting to stay true to the the ideals and, and the idea of the storyline all the way through. Nothing annoys me more than three issues into something and it becomes something else entirely. Um, you know, the trial of Hawkeye. There, there, there you go. Yep, yeah, the trial <laughs> of Hawkeye. Exactly. You know, um, you know, these are the you know the 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 core idea of you know two people who both want to do something good in the world, but they both want to go about it in a completely different way. You know, like that's something that really hasn't happened in the at least in the DC universe too much effect. Um, you know, and and it's something that I think it's something that, that I think would would like I said not only just reinvigorate the Titans but also the DC universe as a whole. Um, you know, because they've and, and and also I mean you know DC and Marvel are constantly you know constantly repeating each other. They, they, they just are. It's it's just it, it's part of comics. And the thing is, is like they've never actually done a civil war, um, you know, for, for the for the DC heroes. And I mean, they, they did Trinity War for like an issue. We thought but, we were going to get something like that. Ex- exactly. But <laughs> but once again, then it became something else entirely, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so. So, no, I, I I'm all I'm all in. I, I, I fully support this. Cool. Cool. Um, well, I yeah. will I will ask just one quick thing. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, that kind of uh, the conversation I talked about that Dick has with uh, um, ideally someone in the Bat family, but it doesn't have to be, I guess. Who do y'all think would make the most sense to kind of help him come to that realization? For me, um, I say it. it Literally, as you were saying, it, it sounded like something Barbara would say. Like, That's what I was saying. I mean, as Barbara. It, yeah, I mean, like, I, like, don't get me wrong. I love Damien. You know? I'm a, yeah, I'm gonna be weird and say Damien. You're gonna say Damien? Okay. Damien. But you know, like, I, I love both of them, and and honestly, like, I mean, either either one, you know, would be would be a good, <clears throat> you know, a good finale, you know, a good, you know, like voice of reason for him. But but at the same but at the same time like the the way you were wording it it sounded like something Barbara would say so I mean maybe maybe if it was worded like a slightly different way I think I think it would work for like a for like Damien but I think Josh kind of wants to defend his point on that so well, well I'll only really say that is because I'm thinking in Batman and Robin Eternal Damien's the one that defines the whole com the whole conflict if you remember because they're all like because they're all doing the the thing where they don't trust Batman mm-hmm. you know? but yeah that's, that's true because yeah. if, if if there's one thing that the Bat family has it's we don't trust this guy. We put our lives in over and over and over again. So I'll be like, <laughs> I don't know why Batman can say this. Damien's be like, dude, he trusted all of you. This is what he made all of you for. This is the whole purpose for all of us to be here. That's why he left all this. Because you know, I mean, the story, the that starts with you know him leaving and saying, look, this is my biggest mistake, and you're going to have to fix it. You know, here's what you need to fix it. You know, I mean, that the whole point of the of the Bat family is for them to be better than Batman. That's what I love about them. 
And uh, so I, I, to me, it sounds more like Damien because Damien's the only one that's gotten that in 77 years. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, I, I, can, I can see Barbara too. Cool. I got you. Where is Bruce during that? During Batman, during Batman, during Batman and Robin Eternal, where is Bruce? Because I can't remember. Because he's not part of it. You don't, or you you really don't know where he's at. Is, it, is that super heavy? Is that during? Yeah, he's, he's walking around as Bruce Wayne. As Bruce Wayne, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Okay. All right. Yeah, because because it's right after because uh, it's right after Endgame, ba- Batman Endgame, not yeah. Avengers. Sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. Man, what a, what a great storyline! If you take one thing away from this podcast, guys, go go read more Scott Snyder stuff. Just, just saying, <laughs> yeah. you know. Fair. That and this comic book needs to be funded like tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, does anyone else have any other closing remarks or anything? Or no. All right. Well. Well, my friends, thank you all so much for joining us. Um, of course, this has been uh, this has been a bit of a longer a longer episode. So, I mean, you know, if you're splitting this up and you know you're listening to this, you know, in bits, we uh, we appreciate that. If you've listened to it all the way through, uh, we def- we definitely appreciate that as well. But most importantly, we just appreciate you all. You know, uh, thank you all so much for supporting us. Whether it's in reading our articles, watching our streams, listening to our podcast, we appreciate it all. Um, I do want to thank uh, our fellow fandom correspondents, uh, um, Y Sage and Raven, for coming up with you know some great questions for no, for Al and and mm-hmm. Al, thank you so much for not only you know giving us the idea of Phantom Shark Tank, but bringing three absolutely fantastic projects uh, to us. You know, I uh, you know can't 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 say enough about about what you bring to this team, man. I I, I really can't. Um, so you know, thank you so much for that. Um, we we don't really know exactly what know what we're doing just uh, just yet next week, but we're but we're gonna we're gonna figure that out. You know what mm-hmm. what is the next fandom talk? You know, and um, maybe not as soon as next week, but if there are subjects that you want to hear about, things you want to hear more of uh, more from us on, you know, whether it's us talking about comics, it's us talking about movies, video games, whatever you guys want to hear about, please let us know. Uh, contact us on social media. Um, uh, hit us up in the comments on, on YouTube or on the site itself. We'll be happy to happy to start you know, looking into stuff and trying to try and talk about the stuff that you guys care about just as much as the stuff that we that we care about. Um, I'm going to close by, of course, saying you know, fandom is for everyone, and you know, then that goes right into this idea of bringing not only our projects you know, to to life, you know, for what we want to see, but also, like I said, talking about the things that you guys want to hear about. So. Thank you all once again so much. We'll be seeing you all soon.